0: Hello, and welcome back to the Miss Amanda Chen Show. If you've been following this podcast, I'm almost halfway through the 100 Masked Men series, where I interview men anonymously about what masculinity means to them and how their self-worth is measured against their interactions with women. This month, we have had the pleasure of partnering with Tether, the world's first peer-to-peer online community connecting men for open and honest conversations about life. I think it's kind of crazy that this platform was created now that it's taken so long for us to realize how important it is to have conversations among peers about what we're going through, how we're feeling, and be able to openly and honestly express ourselves without judgment. I guess that also explains why I was so compelled to start interviewing men and trying to understand why we are the way we are. Today, I'm sitting down with the founders of Tether, Matt and Addison, and we talk about how these two came together, the landscape for men's mental health and how women can also get involved in the space to improve our relationships with one another. Let's get into it.
1: Thank you, Amanda, for for having us today. It's really nice to get to chat with you. I'll talk a little bit about the origin story from, I guess, my perspective and my own journey, and then how I know Addison. He always tells the story about how it kind of came to be between us a lot better than I do. I mean, I've struggled with mental health issues my entire life, and um I think the big, you know, the biggest thing that happened to me when I was a child was, you know, I I was bullied a lot as a kid, but I always kind of felt like I was apart from everyone else. I never felt like I really fit in and I always felt isolated in the experience that I was having. I guess I was, I was always kind of looking for others to validate me, my experience, what I was doing, who I was in some way, shape, or form. And the way that manifested for me as like, you know, growing up was I struggled to fill this gap, this hole uh, inside of me. And when I was, you know, in my early teens, it had a lot to do with like eating, you know, I would try and fill that with eating. So I would binge and purge. I was probably, definitely was, you know, bulimic, but never was diagnosed with that. Uh, it was just a way that I I kind of coped by filling, filling myself up quite literally. When I got into my later teen years uh, and into high school, it very much became about partying and drinking and socializing. Again, like looking for those really big experiences to, I guess, you know, just I I I kind of wanted to go from peak experience to peak experience because I was really looking for this sense of connection with others in the world around me. And then when I got into university, that very much turned into performance. And I thought I could get validated by being a top performer and getting a good job and all of that. You know, it worked in a lot of ways. I ended up graduating uh, top my class from U of T here in Toronto, and I started my my CFA, my Chartered Financial Analyst designation in university. Got a job at a quantitative hedge fund at a university, and became a portfolio manager at that quantitative hedge fund. By the time I was was twenty seven, and uh, you know, me and that group grew the company from zero dollars in assets to uh, almost four hundred million dollars in assets in in a few years. But throughout that journey, I felt very empty. I, you know, I was accumulating suits. I was accumulating money. I thought all of this would make me happy. I ended up buying a home. All of these things on the outside looked really good, but inside I still was trying to fill that that gap within me. And then I guess the the real turning point for me was in 2018, in January, I was living in this townhouse complex and I lived across from this, this guy who, uh, we became friends almost immediately after moving in. It was a brand new townhouse complex here in Toronto and our, our balconies were adjacent to each other. And we just, we started talking one night when we were both standing out on our balconies. And in, In 2018, unfortunately, um, this person who had become one of my my closest friends and one of those guys in my life that i I could really share openly with and be myself around died very suddenly of a pulmonary embolism and he actually dropped dead on on the front steps of uh, of his place just outside of our apartments in this laneway and and when that happened it left this void inside of me and I, I was you know I had lost somebody who I was deeply connected with and and i I went into a very dark place I, I was really depressed I couldn't get out of bed I couldn't perform at work there was so much paralysis in my life and and I just I didn't know where to go with that and so I I went to therapy I I tried medications, I tried experimental treatments, really anything that I could do to heal the pain that I was feeling inside this really deep existential pain. And uh, it wasn't really until I found this men's group and I was invited by a friend of mine uh, in November of 2018 that things started to shift for me. In that group, I I remember it was kind of the first time I, 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 I sat down and I shared that I I didn't want to live, but I didn't want to die. And I don't know if I used those exact words, but that was the sentiment that was coming across. And, you know, as opposed to those men saying, you know, oh, well, you know, just, you'll be fine. You you have a lot to be grateful for. Maybe try exercising or changing your diet. They, They just sort of held space for that. And they allowed... Me to show up as I was. They allowed my feelings to be there. They didn't try and change it, and that was different. And it was really—I only know this in hindsight—but it was really the first time that I felt actually seen, and and I felt held in some way. That experience, I think, shifted in something inside of me, and I ended up continuing to do that work and continuing to go back to that meeting. Uh, and then in April, twenty nineteen. I went on a men's retreat down in Massachusetts in the U.S. And again, I just I had this really profound experience and I felt so connected to what I I, I couldn't even tell you what it was, but I, I, I just felt this shift inside of me, and I ended up coming back from that retreat on a Monday and ended up quitting my job uh, in in finance that Wednesday and kind of went off looking for what was going to be more meaningful and purposeful for me. And and it wasn't until, you know, a number of months later that I I just sort of had this moment where I was having coffee with a friend. And the idea and and what I needed to do just became so clear and, and, you know, so resonant within me that I, I just started pursuing that. And so I ended up selling my home. Uh, to start the business. Uh, Addison and I actually went to high school together, but we were never really close in high school. I'll I'll let him tell a little bit about that story, but we just started connecting with each other. And we were both going through stuff at that time. And we started having these conversations and checking in with each other. And what started as just, you know, us being friendly and 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 like supporting each other immediately became clear that we needed to do this together. And, and I had already at this point met our other our other co-founder Burke through a product school course at BrainStation here in Toronto. And we were already starting to build Tether. And then Addison came on and and really started to take the brand to another level and really started to dictate and champion and build how we showed up and where we showed up. Yeah,
2: I will be honest. I always had my eyes set on having a career in the arts and or business. I never really even thought about, about getting involved in mental health in any way. But the easiest way to kind of say it is that mental health got involved with me, whether I liked it or not. After my first year of school, after about a four year battle with a a brain tumor, my, my younger brother who was two years younger than me passed away. And so that naturally brought in sort of this element for the first time of having to really look at mental health, not only for myself, but for the other men in my family. And obviously witnessing my brother's own sort of mental game around having childhood cancer, just really brought that to light. And I'll be honest, when my brother passed, uh, myself and many of us were were really looking out for my mother. It seemed like something she could never survive to lose a child. And there was a lot of focus on my mom and my dad. Although stoic at times, you know, was really like the life of the party. was really like a Robin Williams type. And I never really worried that deeply about him. I knew he had highs and lows, of course, but never really worried. And then about three years after my brother passed, I found my father after his suicide. I apologize. I should have trigger warning. But yeah, I I found him after a suicide, which was a big surprise, not only to me, but to my whole family. And at that point, it really forced me to just look at every aspect of my mental health journey, whether I liked it or not. My recovery became a full-time job. I had PTSD and now compounded grief. And I was experiencing flashbacks. And I didn't sleep for almost a year. And you know, quite honestly, I don't say this that often, but I was terrified of the dark at 24 years old, you know, so it really just sent me on this journey. And I found myself at the time My had planned before my father passed was to move to California. In order to do that as a Canadian, I had to essentially prove that I was extraordinary for this extraordinary artist visa. And I've never felt less extraordinary in my life than, than during that grief process and that recovery. But I managed to to prove I was somehow. And uh, I got to move to California. And at that point, I really did sort of start to go to the ends of the earth, as Matt and I say, to feel good and make sense of the world and sort of get my life back and continue regardless of my grief process. And I was successful in that. I, I, I met a lot of people. I, I worked with coaches and therapists and did all sorts of different treatment programs for the trauma and, and really, really came to learn so much about mental health as I feel like I sort of inherited that responsibility by losing my father the way I did. And sort of on the cusp of celebrating that, I was I got into a very, very bad accident in Los Angeles that was fatal um, and killed um, a very dear friend of mine instantly and left me relearning to walk and with a head trauma and in the hospital. And, and sort of at that point, that's when I realized that I was sort of, you know, I always say this, but it felt like I was trying to run windows on a Mac. Like I just, it just what, like my mental health and my well-being was just not in a place that would survive this third trauma that also came with chronic physical pain and a whole entirely different PTSD due to the nature of the accident and just another grief process. So. It was in that time, as Matt said, we, we had gone to high school together, and you know, it was in that time that Matt had posted something about grieving himself and what he was going through, and that's when I had reached out, and and like he said, we sort of reconnected there and became. We didn't know what it was at the time, but retrospectively, it really was sort of this beta tether relationship where we connected with each other as peers, and you know, we celebrated together, but we also were there for each other when things got really tough, and we both had therapists and coaches and we're doing anything and everything we could to feel good and want to be here but we found ourselves in that moment like Matt said I call it the Matt moment in my life Matt was the first man that ever admitted to me that he didn't want to live but he didn't want to die and that was very transformative for me because no one had ever said that out loud and I had felt it for a very long time yeah we built this relationship and you know when Matt originally came up with the idea of tether you know I I was Looking back at my 10 years and making sense of things, especially coming out of a suicidal depression at the time, I was like clicking going, yes, that's the only reason I'm here, community. That's the only reason I'm here. And I realize that not everybody has that community and not everybody has those deep connections to rely on when they're challenged. And in part, the reason I have such deep connections is because my losses were so obvious and transparent and public. Every other man doesn't necessarily you know, it sounds weird to say this, but have the privilege of grieving something so understandable and so tangible. You know, we're all grieving all the time, the way we thought things would be and and how life was going to be. And I really realized that, like, without my support system and my community, I just wouldn't be here. And uh, I feel that way to this day. So, you know, when Matt came back with the the rest of our team, um, the tech team, and I just wanted to help as much as I could. And a day turned into an hour, which turned into a week as the story goes. And I ended up Coming on as a co-founder to build the brand and the community, and um, and look out for our overall impact strategy as far as connecting as many men as possible when it comes to this.
0: That's such a beautiful story. Thank you both for for sharing that. And I think it's it's so beautiful that you were able to connect through moments of sadness, of grief, and of of loss. And I think unfortunately we've been taught that we should be connecting over happy moments or achievements or successes you know what i mean versus something more of a, an emotional connection of familiarity in that context and both of you have mentioned that that search for community and how that has driven your your purpose in this life and and found more meaning through that journey how would you say that that is a specific struggle with men, because coming from a female perspective, there has been way more opportunity at least for, for women to be able to open up and express themselves more emotionally. Has there been a lot of barriers growing up as men in your community? And also from all of the tether men that are on your community now, what are those main challenges on expressing mental health and finding that connection and feeling comfortable speaking about your stories and expressing vulnerability?
1: Mm, that's a, it's a great question, Amanda. It's interesting, because as I sit here, it's like the, I've never really said this in this way, but it's like on the surface, to I think to a lot of people, it doesn't seem like it should be a challenge, but then it's the most profound challenge I believe uh, any man can face. And the reason is because, you know, men are just socialized to not feel. Men are socialized to believe that struggling is somehow inherently unmasculine. unmasculine. That reaching out and building these connected relationships with each other is inherently feminine in some way. I think that a lot of men, well, I think that all men, but I I think that, uh, you know, uh, I think the struggle of a lot of men is that they deeply desire and crave these emotionally connected relationships with each other and then yet everywhere they're met with you know whether it's subconsciously or you know overtly they're met with these stop signs these blockades that prevent them from actually dropping in and and having those types of really deeply connected relationships and I mean that That was what Addison and I and Burke and and a lot of men that I have now in my life have, have the privilege of having, right, which is these relationships where we don't have to go there, we don't always have to talk about our struggles, but we know that if we need to, we can. And I think that's the big piece, right, that's what makes somebody feel safe that's what allows people to connect deeply, is is the knowing that it is a, a safe thing to be able to do, that the person that you're speaking with has the capacity to go there with you if that is what is needed. And I think that's what we've tried to hold and to crystallize through the Tether app, is providing a safe space where it does feel like it's safe to actually go there. Um it's uh, it, it's safe to celebrate joy, it's safe to talk about the challenges of fatherhood, it's safe to talk about the struggles of depression, it's safe to to speak about not feeling connected to your work and wanting to find more purpose and meaning in in your life. I think that, you know, there is very much this idea and you you alluded to this, right, where it's this You know, we need to be positive, right? We need to share positivity because that is, you know, that's good, quote unquote, right? And so inherently what we've said there is we've implied that struggle is bad and that negative emotions are bad and i firmly believe that there are no good or bad emotions there are just constructive or destructive reactions to those emotions and so a destructive reaction that we often see and this bears out in terms of how men typically interact with whether it's mental health services or what have you is that men typically go towards drugs and alcohol and self-harming behavior in order to deal with you know with mental health issues right or they shut down or they get angry or any any of these things like it it starts to come out in very unhealthy ways and that then impacts their relationships with themselves, with other people. And it really, it really stops that ability to heal that pain, that trauma, uh, and actually progress through it, and 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 grow and evolve and expand into being the man that they want to be. And it it bears out uh, in terms of the underutilization of mental health uh, uh, services by men. They underutilize it by about you know fifty percent, seventy-seven percent of men are dealing with some kind of stress, anxiety, or depression. So I mean, it's basically ubiquitous. And then forty percent of men say. That even though they're struggling it would take thoughts of suicide or self-harm in order to reach out and get any help and I think that is really so clearly speaks to the degree to which we stigmatize struggle as being inherently unmasculine and and one of the things that we always like to say that str- is that struggling doesn't make you any less of a man it makes you human so can we humanize this can we hold space For difficult emotions, right? Because it's only through sitting with and holding space with those difficult emotions that we're actually able to transmute it and convert it into something that is useful to us, right? Because all of those, you know, quote, unquote, negative emotions, and again, I don't like the word, I think there's just a way to, you know, a way to react to them that's more positive. I think the positive way is to actually interact and play with those emotions and understand why they're there and share them and have somebody reflect back to you something about what you are going through because it's it's really in those moments that we can discover the most profound things about us right isolation and loneliness is really just a feeling of wanting to feel connected and feel loved right so if you don't go into the isolation and you don't say that i'm feeling lonely then you can never undercover uncover the true value uh that you have which is i want to feel connected and loved and i want those things in all aspects of my life right? When you feel like you lack purpose and meaning in your life or work sucks, or, you know, your family life isn't going the way that you want, what it actually reflects is that you want something that lights you up. You want something that gets you out of bed in the morning. You want something that, that feels real and meaningful and good when you go and do it. And I think that is such an essential part of what humans need. And and those are the two pieces, purpose and meaning and connection and community and love. And, and together, That is, I think, what creates a really full and fulfilling life. When we characterize, whether implicitly or explicitly, that struggle is inherently unmasculine and we aren't able to hold space collectively for that struggle, then what we're doing is actually shutting a lot of men off from becoming better men, from actually becoming emotionally available, connected, real men who can support others, who can show up, in an empowered and empowering way for others i think it it really robs us of a lot of good men by by not being able to collectively hold space for that struggle and allow it to be there without judgment
0: i totally agree i think there is this concept of especially in a masculine sense of the lone wolf journey where you're you have to figure it out by yourself where you're not a man without that and mm-hmm. i think that then isolates you even further and it makes it harder to formulate a proper community. And even from like, whatever locker room chat would occur, you know, it's very surface level. How would you advise men to open up a little bit more and to have those open conversations and how do you secure safety among other friends in that space?
2: I think, you know, in in part, that's why we created Tether and that's why we've created it the way that we have, because, we recognize that it's not that simple to just introduce into your daily life, especially when things have been socialized in a different way. And that's not necessarily how current support systems are set up, but it doesn't mean that you can't go and find support systems that you do have or that you can have like Tether and build a, the community within Tether and then bringing pieces of that back. I, a coach always used to say to me, you teach people how to treat you but you have to learn that process. You have to learn how you'd like to be treated and how you will reciprocate to support. And I think one thing that's really important that we've learned, and especially through Matt and Mai's relationship is is being able to maintain the balance of always checking in with each other and never letting either person's check-in affect a true check-in for the other man. So for instance, I can be really suffering in, in sort of a grief cycle or having a bad day or just not connecting well and fully able to show up to Matt and celebrate something great that's happening for him. I think that's so important to recognize that that creating that balance. And one thing that we teach when we speak about pure support is how much of a boundary driven and balanced relationship it actually is. It's not just going from zero to 100 where all of a sudden like, you know, everyone's just sharing all these feelings and it's overwhelmed. I'm sure some people imagine it that way, but it's really not like that at all. The culture of Tether is very dedicated to balance and boundaries and, and being able to check in with yourself and knowing if you're in a place to support another man. And also, taking some of the edge off knowing that when it comes to peer support, neither person is higher up in the hierarchy, no matter how anyone's feeling. And at any point, either man can be the one supporting or being supported. And taking that back for me, at least into my normal relationships, or maybe I was taking on a little bit more responsibility, or maybe I was dipping back into those idea of what a man is and and what I should be presenting and how it would be strong for the women in my family, etc. cetera. Being in this culture with Tether, it shows how much more power and how much more strength is in actually showing up as you are. And I think that's that's a really cool gift that that we're seeing men in our community start to take back into their lives. And it becomes this this secular thing that starts to really create meaning in their whole lives, not just on Tether.
0: That's amazing. I love that. You are, you're shifting the conversation and you're doing it through practice, right? And you're getting more men to, to come on to Tether and communicate this better. Since Tether began, what have been the, the biggest successes, the best achievements, the best mm-hmm. growth so far, and what has surprised you the most of that community that you've built?
1: We've had a lot of successes, I think. Getting to that first thousand members was a huge one. Getting into 500 startups, into the tech accelerator program. Uh, in San Francisco was a huge, a huge accomplishment. We we were able to raise Kickstarter uh, that raised twenty five thousand dollars for Tether that allowed us to keep going. I think the team that we've been put, we've been able to put together, and how we've been able to battle through learning and adversity and moments where you know you just like you're kind of like at a loss of what to do. I think that is, I don't know, I just I can't say enough about the the team resiliency um, that's been there. And I and I also think that what has been most challenging is creating a I guess a, a way of existing and being in the community that can filter out uh, to all of the different members organically, right? And and that's required Addison and I to really model. Um, the behavior that we want to see from the other members, and I think that was that was something I was going to uh, add on to what he said because so much of peer support and so much of providing a space where men can grow and 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 learn to trust and learn to be open is so much about the men who come before them, and those men modeling positive attitudes towards openness and vulnerability, like without that, the, uh, you know, the next man isn't going to take that step. And so one of the things that I think we've done really good is we've started at that, that very basic point, right? So I think so many solutions right now create a bar that for a lot of men uh, is just too high for them to start and and you know what I think is like that really first step is for a, someone coming into our community to really be able to just see that there are other men that are dealing with the same issues that they are um, and are, are, are actively working with them and playing with them as I like to say right like when we start to accept and allow and honor the journey, as, as Addison always says, and he keeps reminding me to honor the, journey, honor the journey, honor the journey and it not being a destination. When we allow ourselves to honor the journey, it actually creates this separation between us and the thing that we're struggling with, right? And we're allowed to have that objectivity to view it from a place of, oh, interesting, this is showing up for me. And and it's not like, I want to get rid of it, which is actually a a force of resistance. Um, It's actually like a a curiosity that you get to play with this. And it's in that play that you actually get to transmute it and it teaches you something that is meaningful that can then direct your behavior. But it all has to come, uh, in my opinion, from this place of first stepping into a community and seeing that there are other men playing with these things and that's one of the things that I think is beaten out of us as as and this is not just as men I think this is as people we don't have enough play in our lives we don't have enough opportunities to play with things and so it's you know everything becomes something that we need to fix we need to overcome uh, as opposed to be with right and I and so I think one of the the biggest challenges and I think why we've been patient in terms of and I, I don't even think it's like patience that we chose I think it was patience that was forced upon us was this understanding of the dynamics of what builds culture and what builds community. And I think that that is so important. And so, you know, we, we, we facilitate that through community guidelines um, and, uh, you know, our content, all of those different pieces are part and parcel of that, that community piece and, and how we teach it. But so much of it has been Addison and I, you know, hosting men's groups, messaging people on the app, making posts, commenting and replying on other people's posts, um, and just simply moderating, not moderating, uh, modeling, I should say, that behavior that we want to see go through the community. And that's where you have the, I think, ability to really make a a seismic impact on things, right, is when, when you start and create a culture Uh, that is not only internal to the people that are working at the company, but then is also implicit and internal to the community that you are building yourself. That is what spreads. That is what is scalable, right? But you really have to get your hands dirty and and you really have to get in there. And so I think that's been the biggest, I wouldn't even call it, like, it's been the biggest opportunity for growth for, I think, both of us, uh, for me especially, is just you know, really doing this brick by brick. And I, I think what's interesting when you when you look around, you know, the 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 tech landscape, we're always so concerned about scalable solutions, things that can grow quickly. The problem is, is that if the if the foundation isn't there, then you're growing something quickly on top of a faulty foundation. And so for us, the biggest thing has been laying that foundation, making sure it is solid. I think that we've done that exceptionally well. There's things that we are going to be building into features and things like that, that also help facilitate that. But once that foundation is there, that's when you can get people coming in and they, they seem, seamlessly are brought into the community. Um, and there's just this implicit understanding of what to do, what the values of the community are, how to interact. And that is what becomes scalable, right? That is the thing that then can actually turn from just you know helping a few hundred people to helping millions of people. We're, we're still learning and growing and developing and and understanding how community interaction is scalable and how values are scalable. Um, And that's, it's a really interesting and complicated uh, and confusing and frustrating and amazing problem to be solving. It's just, it's all of those things all at once.
0: I think that's really cool that the focus of your foundation is on community because usually, I mean, if you think of mental health or any kind of cause that you want to improve on, you want to just like nail it, right? And you can't just nail mental health, right? There's just so many levels to it. And when I started these interviews, I'm almost halfway through of the 100 Mass Men series, and it widened the spectrum of where I thought men's understanding of themselves were and their interactions with women and what mental health even means to them. And how some men like have never flexed that muscle ever and some might be more open to it. And you can't just ask the exact same question to everyone and expect that everyone's going to give you the exact same answer. Like, like typical school work. You know what I mean? This is like life-based scenarios where everyone has a uniqueness to it. And it's going to be hard to understand where everyone's coming from. How would people that have not experienced what you've experienced be able to communicate in the same same level as you to kind of get that same awareness i think that's when i start butting heads with people where it's like i know i only know my perspective it's really difficult to see the other i have been trying to understand men for a long time you know have been very intentional about trying to understand them and i think what's interesting is the effort in trying to be understood mm-hmm. and how would you be able to Or what would you say to people that are trying to be understood that are trying to tell their story, maybe they've never flexed this muscle before they don't know how to be vulnerable, they don't know how to express themselves without, you know, the self defense that they typically are in and presenting themselves in a certain way of power or status to take Mm -hmm. down all of those barriers and actually finally communicate their true authentic self.
1: Mm. Speaking for uh, uh, one man, I mean, I, I've been trying to understand women for, um, you know, the vast <laughs> majority of my life as well. So uh, we appreciate knowing that it's just as confusing for for you guys as it is for us. And I think that a lot of that has to do with the fact that there's just a, like there's just a lack of integration in the world today. Right. And And we all have masculine. I mean, when I say masculine and feminine, traits. I'm more talking about the energetic or the top level masculine feminine. I'm not talking about like gender or anything like that. There's, you know, there are these energies of doing versus holding space. There's like the yin and the yang, right? Like these are all like, these are all integrated pieces. And so I think for a lot of men, it's very difficult to, to drop into the, like to the feminine quote unquote heart space and feel right. And, And that is a, Uh, An inherently feminine, not female, feminine quality energetically to be able to drop into heart space, to hold space. Um, And it's a very nurturing place. But, you know, we are, again, socialized as men to be doers, to get things done, to go on this great adventure, to solve our problems, right? And that's a very heavy, masculine, blunt force type of thing. And so I think the one of the big pro, and when I say masculine, again, not male, masculine right so I, I want to distinguish between all of these different uh, pieces between gender and energy and and sort of like these these bigger concepts and so I think for a lot of men the inability to drop into their hard space and feel because we've been you know it's been beaten out of us as I've said uh, the inability to feel or the unwillingness the the inability to feel and 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 that block right has made feeling scary right because you're like what are these things that are happening in my body right it's just not an thing. And, and we're taught that we need to overcome it. We need to man up. We need to push through it, right? And, and that is exactly the opposite thing that we need to be doing. We need to be dropping into that. We need to be holding space to that. So I think for a lot of men that are beginning this journey, first of all, I, just, I want them to first disassociate any concept of masculine or feminine from this, because I think it just confuses matters. But I wanted to, to bring that out there to, um, you know, to, to highlight a point. But I think the first thing uh, is, is really just getting good with the fact that the way to get better, the way to optimize the way to come into your fullness as a man is actually through dropping into your feelings and simply being with them and not changing them allowing yourself to be sad, allowing yourself to feel grief, allowing yourself to understand what it feels like to be inadequate, not just from like a mental perspective, but also from like a physiological perspective. What does that feel like in your body? Is it a tightness in your chest? Is it a sinking feeling in your stomach? And and then just simply learning to acknowledge that. So I think that's a big part of that is that dropping in peace and the allowing of that to be there. So that's number one. And I think number two, is again being given not only permission to share openly and share vulnerably but then you know starting to develop and having a way to develop a a vocabulary around your emotional mental experience and and i think that comes again from that modeling piece that we talk about right so seeing other men who are engaging with it and being like, oh, okay, they're, they're doing this. They're saying this, they're experiencing this. Okay. Like, can I see that as a counterpoint in me? And can I like, can I ping off against that? Can I tether to that in some way? Um, and really allow myself to also be courageous enough to allow myself to feel what's going on. And then I guess like the, the final piece of this is again, having a space and having, and this is not not just having other men to have these conversations with. And I think this is where women come into the into the fold as well. But like having people in relationships in your life where you know that there's an ability to go to that place to be vulnerable, to allow yourself to express sadness, joy, whatever the feeling is that's coming up with you, and then knowing that that other individual can hold space for that, right? And so I think where where women come into this is like we, we can see that women naturally form these supportive, emotionally connected relationships with other women. And uh, and oftentimes, especially for heterosexual men, the only place that they actually form those emotional bonds is with their heterosexual opposite sex partner, right? And so women have a huge responsibility in holding space for men, just as men have a huge responsibility in holding space for women, right? And this is the play between those two sides, between the masculine and the feminine, right? We all have these qualities within us and how can we all integrate it? And I think building better relationships generally, not only between men, but between men and women and between uh, you know people who identify in, in whatever way that they choose to identify is collectively holding space for another person's experience in a non-judgmental way. And Addison talked about this before, but allowing that person's experience to be what it is without having it affect you or, or, or just noticing how it is affecting you when someone feels sad. Oh, I'm feeling sad and I'm feeling really moved and, and, and shifted by what this person is experiencing. I feel empathy, but not allowing it to get to the point where it actually overwhelms you, because that's when we start to engage in behaviors that are not constructive to the other person's experience. So I think this concept of holding space is so amorphous and so rich. But I really do believe that it comes down to that and that collective holding of space for each other and allowing each other to express things in a space that is non-judgmental, that is open, uh, and that can hold that. And so I think a huge part of uh, what women can do for men is to show them the type of empathy, compassion... Uh, and warmth that I think women are, are are uniquely suited to do in a lot of ways. And then for men, it's about dropping into that hard space, starting to cultivate and grow that ability to hold compassion, that ability to hold uh, bigger emotions, and then doing that for each other. Because there's something unique about men doing that for each other. There's something unique about women doing that for each other. And then there's also something unique about men and women doing that for each other. And And then however you choose to uh, identify as well and how we we do that between any two people um, so these are just these are dynamics right but again it starts I think with dropping in with yourself and starting to develop that relationship with your emotions and and seeing if you can pull away slightly and just being like huh I feel this way um, okay what does that feel like in my body so I, I know that was a there was a there was a bunch of stuff in there but I, I think that's how um, I, I think that's how this kind of builds and grows and, and, and allows us to have those real relationships with each other and allow us to understand each other more. And, and you, you said this great phrase, and I, you know, I love it. It's like, seek to understand rather than be understood. I think if we can all seek to understand more, the world, uh, you know, we're just that's a, a much better place to be coming from.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think it's, it's interesting that you mentioned the kind of yin and yang, like feminine versus masculine concept, because men, if you're, if you're thinking of the protectors, providers, caregivers, in that sense, there needs to be some level of vulnerability and expression of your emotions in order to be protective, to kind of express those sides of the emotion. So it's, it's interesting to see how our society has really blocked all of that off from us. And I've spoken to a couple of men on the show that have been in men's groups and they would say, you know, if it's all men immediately, if you go into a room full of men, you're just going to size each other up, right? And see who can you take down and whatever, start making those judgments. And then eventually find that camaraderie on maybe similar experiences when it's between men and women. I think, uh, especially now women have just created more expectations on men or either lack of expectations on men and, you know, what what they would deem as what a good man should be. And I don't think that those definitions are aligned. And I think with men, they feel like if they were going to be vulnerable in front of a woman, that kind of removes all of his manhood and he's no longer, you know, attractive to her or, you know, whatever that version is and also on giving that vulnerability, whatever those those feelings are to a woman, suddenly she has all of this power over him. She's got all this ammo from whatever he's given to her. Because as you've said, you know, typically in, in at least in hetero world, when men form these bonds with women, they give them something that they have not disclosed to anyone else. So if that was, if that landscape were to change, you have more men now being vulnerable among other men, then it shouldn't be so scary to put it all in one woman's hands anymore. Do you think that could, could potentially change people's relationships moving forward by opening that space? Or how do you see what the future might look like in, in an ideal sense?
2: Yeah, you know, it's funny, because I think like as Matt said, when it comes down to it, you know, so much of it really is born of, of the culture that we've placed ourselves in, and that we choose to be a part of. And I think what's interesting is if we just look back at a very basic level, and I think this applies to this conversation and in general, but what comes to mind for me is this idea that like anytime something is new or out of our comfort zone, we resist, we're uncomfortable. And and it takes like a commitment to rewiring in your brain to learn that discomfort leads to growth, which makes my life better, you know, and it seems so simple and it's, so simple to say, but I know after years and years of literally training myself to go where the discomfort is, you know, and that's very different than danger. I'm talking about like, you know, just, just discomfort around opening up, discomfort around trying something new. You know, when you get that, that sting, that feeling of discomfort, that slowly can become the cue to lean in a little bit more. You know, and just like we allow with how men come into the Tether community, there's not a necessary barrier to overcome, you know, in your first stride. You can drop in and at your own pace, really start to be a part of and form the relationships that you want to make. Some men come into the app and we've learned that there's this comfort in this warming up period where they just witness other men interacting, supporting and being supported And then, you know, three weeks later, a month later, we hear from them, or we find out in some other indirect way that they've connected with one other man and they've been peer supporting each other for months at a time. So just in that same sense, the metaphor there is there's no right way to do this. And I think specifically when it comes to the relationship between males and females, I just felt like I had too much freedom and she was too emotionally sensitive. Like I, I would be like, okay, it's too much pressure. to like, be this open and, and for you to, you know, kind of be accepting of anything, you know? And I know that's what everyone sort of dreams of, but it's just, it's interesting because I still inflicted personally, this idea of putting like stoicism and success and barriers in between me and my relationships, if that makes any sense. So even though it wasn't even coming from home, like I was still ingesting it from somewhere and, and feeling safer and putting those barriers up. And I think for me, it was this, this really long-term journey of leaning into that discomfort and it's not gonna happen overnight. You're not gonna suddenly decide that you're going to completely relate differently as a human being to another one, whether that's your female counterpart or your mom or your sister, or you know anyone that you might find is just a little bit more emotionally available. And I think part of really allowing that process to start is dispelling the idea that there's going to be this quick switch at all, you know, and that it's it's per, per the people involved. No two people are like, I say this all the time. Obviously at the beginning I mentioned, you know, the grief processes that I've been through. And whenever someone loses someone, they come to me. And the first thing I say is, I need you to understand that my grief process in no way compares to what your friend is going through or what you're going through because it's two specific people that are showing up as they are in the world and trying to connect that as pieces or the loss is so specific to those relationships. My sister and I don't have the same grief process around losing my brother. It's exactly like we're talking about here, a female-male relationship and two brothers that were in the middle of a family. It's just so dynamically different. So I think nothing is ever lost by beginning the communication with boundaries, with the current comfort level, with what balance looks like here and now. Sometimes we jump into, like, I just want you to be like this. And, you know, it's like, okay, so what's the today version of that? And I think if men and women, men and men, all people were willing to have conversations of identifying in the beginning stages what balance and boundaries look like, it would weirdly lead to a lot more possibility and growth much sooner. I don't know if that kind of makes sense, but that's something that I'm witnessing again and again, as I get sort of this privilege to talk to so many men through Tether.
0: Yeah. I love that. I think it's really important to realize that this isn't a quick fix situation that you can just put the same application on everyone, you know, and, and the importance of really leaning into that discomfort and feeling everything out and realizing how normal that is. I want to wrap up and just want to let you tell us a little bit more about how we can find you and if there's any events or anything else that you'd like us to to know about.
2: On all the socials, we're Tether for Men, T-E-T-H-R-F-O-R-M-E-N. And we do, for anybody listening, and it's a great way to sort of drop into the community at your comfort level. Every month, we hold a digital event for all Tether men, all Tether members. And it's, a, it's done through Zoom. It's going to be on March 24th, actually, this month. And the only barrier to entry is that you've downloaded the app, like that you are a part of the Tether community. And um, I would just say, you know, come see for yourself and be a part of the experience. And, and there's so many ways to warm up to us. Like, you know, the app doesn't isn't always the first way in, but if, you know, start to follow the Instagram, see what we're about, see what we're talking about. We have blogs that really, really, which I've always found I cannot find meaningful blogs and articles and tips and, and whatnot for men and for that male perspective. And we've really spent a lot of time investing in conscious content and uh, anything we don't create, we do consciously curate. Um, we've got the podcast and the app. There's there's so many points of entry just to, to start to take those steps. And one thing that we've been saying again and again, especially with the pandemic and everything the world's going through, is you can't avoid having feelings, and you know you you have mental health whether you like it or not. It's not something you choose, but um, there there's just no reason to to do it alone. And there's already. Three thousand plus dudes that are warming a community up for you. So I would just really, lend that op- um, that opportunity and that invitation out, and I'll let um Matt kind of take us out if I forgot anything.
1: Yeah, follow us, join, start to join in, see if it feels right for you. Contact us; we're always open. Um, and just thank you, uh, Amanda, for allowing us to to be here and speak with you. It's been a really amazing conversation.
0: Yeah, thank you guys. And honestly, it's been it's been wild for me to just learn so much about what men are really feeling and, and finally listening to them express themselves. And I think that movement is getting stronger and that desire is getting stronger. So I'm, I'm really thankful to have even found you guys and, and be able to provide my audience with a resource like this. Thank you again. Make sure to check out Tether and let me know how it goes. And as always, make sure to subscribe to the show and I'll see you next Wednesday with more episodes of The 100 Masked Men.